Did you know that indecision is costing you money? When employees get stuck in indecision loops, it can impact their work, the work of others, commitments to clients, and ultimately your bottom line. Give your employees access to coaching when they need to stop indecision loops and keep your business moving forward. Visit grandheroninternational.ca slash podcast to learn about the Grand Heron Plus program for corporations. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, a podcast dedicated to promoting leadership development and sharing leadership insights. Here's your host, the Leadership Accelerator, Eddie Turner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, the podcast dedicated to leadership development and insights. I'm your host, Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator. I work with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact through the power of executive coaching, masterful facilitation, and motivational leadership speaking. Today, I want to talk about your trajectory code. Your trajectory code is a guide to understanding why you are where you are and not where you want to be. But more importantly, how you change it. Once you understand what trajectory you're on and what the code is, you can gain an accelerated understanding of yourself and others, including family, friends, neighbors, colleagues, and anyone else. To explain this, I've invited one of the most incredible people I've met. And that's saying a lot, considering the top global thought leaders I've had on the Keep Leading podcast. Uh, he is a performance expert, among other things, and the author of The Trajectory Code. And specifically, I should probably say the full name, Your Trajectory Code, How to Change Your Decisions, Actions, and Directions to Become Part of the Top 1% of High Achievers. My guest today is Dr. Jeffrey McGee. He's been called one of today's leading leadership and marketing strategists. Dr. McGee is the author of more than 20 books, including the one I just said, three college graduate management textbooks, four bestsellers. And he's the publisher of Performance P360 Magazine. He has an incredible list of credentials that will literally take me the rest of the show to say. So I'll stop there and just invite him on. Dr. McGee, welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast. Love it. Thank you very much, Eddie. Very gracious. Thank you for the opportunity to share some ideas through discussion with your listeners. Tell us what I missed about your background. You nailed it. You know, we don't need to go too long with the resume. I just have the honor and privilege of working with business leaders that range from you know, global Fortune 100 leaders, C-suite executives, entrepreneurs, unicorns, serial you know, business leaders, developers, military generals. So it's a wide range of people, but it always comes back to just like where you live. It's the leadership DNA of success today and tomorrow. I love it. 
I absolutely love it. Now, your book title is something else I love. And so tell us, when we're talking about the trajectory code, how do you define trajectory? Great question. So to answer that and to make sense out of our conversation today, you know, everyone that's listening, just visualize a letter V for victory. And if you were to draw a letter V on a sheet of paper, you would have the two lines starting at the bottom. We could label that A for activating event. The line that goes up to the left, you can label that with a letter B. So that's the AB trajectory or pathway. B stands for behavior. Then that line going to the right, let's label that one up the top right with letter C for consequences. Now, if you think about A is activating event, B is behavior, C is consequence. Activating event means starting point. Whatever the stimulants are that you and I have uh, that come across our, our, our space a zillion times a day, how we respond to those or react to those, that triggers our behavior, which then is going to influence whatever the outcomes or, act, or consequences are going to be. Now, to understand trajectory modeling, here's the model that, that uh, I've been using with businesses for years that about 10 years ago became obvious that this is a life coaching concept or a life success concept, so you can use it anywhere, is that that line AB is a finite line. And you really want to maybe at the end of that A-B line, you could also add the word derailment or failure because it's a finite line. And if you look at line C, A-C, what you've labeled up there, C, that one, though, put an arrow so it goes out into infinity. Line A-C or trajectory A-C, to your question, Eddie, is an infinite line. And so that, that infinite line can represent anything you're after, success, accomplishment, aspirations, goal setting, modeling, et cetera. Now, to understand the trajectory code model, go back down to letter A where those two lines are together. This is huge, check this out. So if you were to think of a thumbtack on a wall with two threads hanging straight down to the floor, and you took one thread and you tacked it up at letter B, that AB going up in that little V diagram direction, and you thumbtacked the second thread at letter C of that V diagram, there'd be a period of time where both of those threads are leaving A, leaving that thumbtack, where they would look like they're one on top of the other. That, that space where those two lines look like they're right on top of each other, leaving that point A or the thumbtack, that's what I refer to as the 1% factor. And if you study any one organization successful, there's the secret to their trajectory. They're able to recognize at the very beginning of everything they do or say, they extrapolate outward. Will this take us maybe towards A, B derailment? Let's recalibrate right now. 1% realignment, you're back on track. If I look at what I'm doing and it makes sense as I extrapolate out, then you double down and do it with more commitment and energy and you accelerate your success. So that's in simplest terms, what the trajectory code model mentally looks like and how you operate it. And there's a whole lot more we can add into it. Wow. <laughs> that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. That makes <laughs> a lot of sense. Here. And now I was literally just thinking, I got to have you do that live one day on a whiteboard for us to see it. But as you were talking, I was modeling it here and writing it out. It's a simple but thorough model to use to understand and to execute on our trajectory. Absolutely. So if you think of line A, C, everybody, you can put little check marks between A heading up to C, and those check marks can be anything you want, such as what are the key performance indicators? We talk about KPI in business, or what are the check stations, or what are the gates you go through? But 
If Eddie and I have a goal to accomplish in the next 30 days, and we write that goal down at letter C, then we can reverse engineer it. In order for us to make that deadline happen, what has to be done right before that deadline or delivery of the, of the goal? And what has to be done before that? And you keep backing it up in kind of like a time continuum to see at point A today, are we on track ahead of schedule, behind schedule? And then you can have those checkpoints. You know, we hire new people to organizations with the best intentions of onboarding them and setting them up for AC trajectory experiences. But then we get busy, we get distracted, and we don't realize maybe we're doing them a disservice because we're not really onboarding them effectively until there's a problem. And so the further someone gets down AB, that space starts to separate between those two lines using that visualization letter V. Well, if you can recognize you're off track, again, if you can recognize you're off track closer to point A, those two lines look like they're one on top of the other. Making a, a 1% recalibration or a 5% recalibration to get back on the AC trajectory of success is easy for any business or human to do as I click my fingers. The problem for a lot of us is because we don't have good feedback or we, our egos are in the way, we may not realize we're actually making our job or an activity or our life more difficult until we run into that wall at B and can't continue forward. And then look at how much space is between letter B and C on that B diagram. And most human beings resist change, the change you're going to need to do to get back over to C. But successful people don't run into very many walls that far down the road because they're recognizing way closer to point A, where are the walls? Let me accelerate. And here's a classic line I love to use. If you want to be more successful in life, you have to accelerate your rate to failure. You want to be more successful, you have to accelerate your rate to failure. Don't waste time getting to the failure. If you're going to fail, get there fast. So you can get back on the AC trajectory. Well, there's a lot of people talking about failure and how we need to reframe our view of failure. So you just gave us a little bit of a, a lens to your view on that. Tell us more about that. Should we fail fast, as a lot of people are saying? Absolutely, yes. And if we fail fast, then we should also be able to mathematically start having fewer fail fast experiences. Again, when we fail, we should not be in the game of tossing someone under the bus, which becomes a convenient Olympic sport on the planet today about blame game, which typically is actually a deflection away from the other person not being noticed that they're more, more worthless than the person they're tossing under the bus, but no one likes tough love conversations today, which is another clue. See, successful people don't mind the tough love because they want it raw. They want it blunt. They don't want it rude, but they want it blunt and raw. So when we have a mistake, we should find a way internally as appropriate to share that pathology to failure with everyone so we don't reinvent the failures again. So if it was, hey, I tried to, to be proactive, which is great. We want everyone to be proactive, but I was proactive without checking in with the right subject matter expert or without checking the right technology or without looking at some compliance factors. And that's why I got in trouble. So, hey, let's share that with everyone so we don't make the same mistake twice. So yes, we should fail fast, but we shouldn't be failing fast every day. If we're not a learning entity, a learning organization, then you're missing the whole point of what Eddie and I are talking about right here. Excellent. Now, thinking about what you're saying, the trajectory, the model that you've given us, get into the habit of failing fast, but not failing often. <laughs> and it's that statistically, we should get to the point that we are not having those because we are learning. When should leaders start to worry about their trajectory code? Yeah, a leader should be, you know, let me take it twofold. A leader should be concerned about their trajectory code, if not consciously, subconsciously, 24-7, because really it becomes a GPS of everything on the planet. If you think about the trajectory code model diagram, just one piece that I've just shared with everyone, that's a way to gauge every decision you make. Where do I want to go in my personal life, with my family life, or on my own, or where do I want to go in my business, with my team, with my organization? I mean, everything can be calibrated against that. So another way of looking at that AC 
trajectories is let's go back on the AC line. So if C stands for consequences, some other you know markers for that infinity line would be in essence goals or values or success or aspirations. Let's go back to values. If I am really clear what my values are that I want to live at point C, I could loop that and those values should actually become in essence directly above the A where those two lines are one on top of each other if you drew this visual. I put an oval or a circle on those two lines where they're really overlapping. And I call that the 1% factor. And the 1% factor is everything I just shared in terms of that time where you can be on track or off track. And if you're aware of it, thus another answer to Eddie, your question, you should be aware of this all the time, then you can readjust. Well, your values could become one of those KPIs down there at the very bottom in your 1% zone. What are my values? Because those will shape the decisions I should and shouldn't make. They will shape who I should and shouldn't be interacting with. And nothing negative. But again, if Eddie and I have, have similar values, then we're going to be in alignment on lots of topics. But occasionally, Eddie may have a value that's not in alignment with one of my values. And it doesn't mean Eddie's right or wrong or just right or wrong. Sometimes you can have differing values. It doesn't mean either one of you are a bad person, just different values, what you value. But those values will tell Eddie and Jeff when we don't have alignment, maybe when it's not for us to work together or partner together on one thing, where if we partner on something where we are aligned, we can have greater success. So you should be considering this model all the time. I mean, if I'm going to get in my car here in a couple of minutes and drive to some location, AC, I'm going to have in my head a mental map of how I'm going to get there. Well, if in route I run into construction or an accident, what's my backup plan? See, successful leaders always have an instant backup plan versus the adage of running into a derailment, not knowing what to do, and you have to go back to the drawing board. You should never be going back to the drawing board because going back to the drawing board implies you didn't do the work to have a backup plan, a contingency plan. So again, several examples to when should a leader be thinking about it? They should never not be thinking about it. Wonderful. So my probably fuller thought behind that was sometimes when people may think that they should do it earlier in the career or later in their year, but I love the fact of how you explain that because it is so true. You said something in CEO World Magazine that I think might dovetail really nicely to this. You talked about career nomads being parasites to organizations and individuals. How does that factor in here with what we're talking about, about their trajectory and they're trying to seize it and do the best they can with it? Wow. Okay. So that article got a whole lot of uh, people stressed out across the planet, evidently. So I love it. So here's the thought. It's not an article of disrespect. And again, if you've ever been in any kind of a leadership role, whether you have the title or not, you'll understand the context of the article. And this is one of those examples of a tough love conversation that must take place, but no one wants to go there today because we're afraid of hurting people's feelings. Well, you know, let's all be conscious of each other's feelings and be destitute and live on the street. Or maybe we need to be conscious to say what we need to say. That's the preface before I can answer this question because it's dangerous. So a parasite means a person that either they're blatantly easy to detect because they're in it for themselves, they're self-absorbed, self-focused, at the detriment, they'll toss anyone under the bus. It's here for me to get as much as I can. And in the process, if you win, that's a byproduct. Okay, you got lucky. In the, in, in the process, if I, if I stick around the organization for a while, that still is fine. But what I mean by a parasite is that they take, they don't contribute. They always want, they never give. They always subtract from the equation, they never plus the equation. So there's different kinds of parasites. So a, a true parasite, and sometimes they may be someone you don't realize because you think you like them or they're nice or they're, maybe they're connected to you somehow. They're a legacy employer, colleague, or family member or what have you. 
But you have to go back and, and look at this. The person who's on an A-B trajectory and never wants to get in alignment with the organization, that's a problem player. But a parasite is someone that puts himself out there as being able to do something for you. And they're able to accomplish it if you're not paying attention, but they get it done through other people's labor, but they take credit for it. They don't actually have the mental or physical calluses to do anything they say they can purport to do, but they somehow will get it done through other people, but they take credit for that. What that does is it, it derails your organization because now why kill myself when I'm not getting credit? Someone else is taking advantage of me or someone else gets promoted, but I'm the one actually doing the work or someone else is getting the pay raise or the bonus or the accolade or the trophy or the recognition and not me. And that's not a leader. A leader leads from the front by leading everyone else to success but then a leader has to know when to shut up and get to the back of the line and let the team do what they're best at doing a leader is going to be measured on the output of the people around them if you're a smart organization and sometimes people don't understand that see i got promoted because i was my own rock star but now i have to have a paradigm shift in my head to realize that my success now is not going to be measured on what i specifically do but my team so the parasites a lot of times they have false resumes false experiences. They've never really accomplished anything. They have nothing you know, in terms of tangible intellectual property or accomplishments to their name. Again, I go back to they have no mental or physical calluses to back up what they purport to do. That would be the summation. All right. So I'm having a fascinating conversation with Dr. Jeffrey McGee. He is the author of Your Trajectory Code, How to Change Your Decisions, Actions, and Directions to Become part of the top 1% of high achievers. And as I mentioned, he's not only the best-selling author of many books and textbooks, he is also a writer and contributor for CEO World Magazine, Entrepreneur, Forbes, and a whole lot of others. We'll have more with Dr. Jeffrey McGee right after this. This podcast is sponsored by Eddie Turner, LLC. Organizations who need to accelerate the development of their leaders call Eddie Turner the Leadership Accelerator. Eddie works with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Call Eddie Turner to help your leaders one-on-one -on -one as their coach or to inspire them as a group through the power of facilitation or a keynote address. Visit eddieturnerllc.com to learn more. This is Melody Wilding, author of Trust Yourself, and you're listening to the Keep Leading podcast with Eddie Turner. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. I am talking with Dr. Jeffrey McGee. We're talking about the trajectory code for leaders. And we're talking about that based on the work of Dr. Jeffrey McGee, one of his several bestsellers, Your Trajectory Code, How to Change Your Decisions, Actions, and Directions to Become Part of the Top 1% of High Achievers. You were telling us about your formula before the break, Jeffrey, but there's one thing I want to know based on your subtitle. Why be a part of the top 1%? Wow. Great question. A lot of ways I could I could uh, respond and, and, and attack that question for our listeners. So, so think of it this way. No parent gives birth to a child, or at least no parent I've ever met, gives birth to a child. And upon first seeing that child goes, oh my goodness, I hope my child grows up to be average. I just <laughs> love to be average. Matter of fact, not even average. I hope that they are, they are a D, solid D person in life. No, no, I want my child to be an F, a complete loser and have society take care of them. 
I mean, so thank you for laughing. No one goes, if you think about K-12 and giving someone a grade of A to F, no one ever starts at C and goes D and F. Every parent always wants the best for their child, Bs and As. They want their child to grow up and be Bs and As. At least I would assert, if anyone listening disagrees, please reach out to me. I'd love to find out who the parent is that says, I'm a loser and I want my kid to be a loser too. That's a new book Eddie and I can write about. So given that thought that we're programmed early on to want to be achievers, if you think about it. Now, I haven't defined achieving. And you asked me to define 1%. See, that's when we get wrapped around the axle in conversations. I'm not saying everyone should be, you know, the kind of success person I want. Recently, I was reading on a social media thread uh, for high achievers about a young man who is a triple threat. One, he is a Navy SEAL. So in the Navy, to be a Navy SEAL, special ops, that would be their 1%, the top of the top of the top of the top. That's that special force because when we utilize them, we have basically zero margin for error. We're not deploying you to go F, D, C, or B. It has to be an A. And what's interesting about this young man, not only is he a Navy SEAL, he also is a Harvard Medical School grad, Harvard Medical trained doctor. Whoa. So if you go to Harvard or a school of that level in your own head, you would probably say, among many things, it's supposed to be the best of the best of the best to get admitted into Harvard, thus 1%. It doesn't diminish any other college or school. And what's interesting about him, so not only is he in that 1% in terms of military, This guy's a rock star. He's also in the top 1% of medicine, but that's not it. He also just became an astronaut for the United States of America. So if you're an astronaut, I mean, most of them, not all of them are are pilots in the Air Force or Navy or Marines. And it's not just an average pilot. It's the best of the best of the best of the best. Or if you're going up there as a scientist, that's not you're a mediocre scientist. You better be damn good. Therefore, the best of the best of the best in your area, because we can't just send, you know, 9,000 people to the space station every day of the week. So using as an example, whether we look at the childhood and parenting, whether we look at business, look at any marker out there, you know, recently in my magazine, Professional Performance Magazine, I did an interview, which each quarter comes out. I, I either interview phenomenal global rock star personalities where they write uniquely for me. I've interviewed the last four presidents the United States have written for me. So it's always, again, you may or may not like that president, but that's another 1% because we only have one of them. Only one person gets that level. So I now give you an example through sports medicine, through, in essence, academic, through politics, through business, of all of those are examples that when you look at the word success, there's a way of measuring the best of the best. So the second part of Eddie, your question for our listeners is why is it important? So let's use pro athletics for, for an example. Whether you like athletics or not, you can see this last example, which is the finish line for the answer to this question. If you're a pro athlete and it's game day, you cannot take your F, your D, your C, or your B human capital, your, your F, your D, your C, your B human talent to the playing you know, quarter field. You've got to bring your A game. And if you're bringing your A game, that's why you're part of the 1%. And you've got to bring your A game, though, every time you go to play. So as a professional, no matter what your job is, whether you work at a drive-in restaurant, whether you're in customer service, whether you're in technology, whether you're in IT, whether you're in manufacturing, whether you're in distribution, whether I am, it doesn't matter. You've got to be the best of the best of the best of the best. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. I don't know how many post professionals there are here, postmen and women. I'm sure there's a lot. I don't know if David, my personal postman, is the best, but I'm going to tell you he is because he lives the 1%. 
every time he comes by to drop off the mail, if in essence something is really a little bit too big to go in a box, he doesn't shove it. He'll walk it up through the gate to my door and he'll leave it there and he'll even ring my doorbell. If I'm here, we meet, he even talks of it. I know stuff about him and his family. He knows about me, et cetera. That's a one percenter. He's going beyond. I had to go out of town unexpectedly, didn't have a chance to stop the mail. He quickly knew on day two, something must be up. So he took all of my mail and he saved it until I got back. He knew when I got back. The guy has ESP somehow. One percent. So we live in a world where each one of us have examples of 1% stories and the 1% gets you in business, it keeps you in play and it takes you to the top of the pack. I really like the story that you told about your postman. And that is uh, something that in customer service in general, uh, we're just not seeing those stories as often as we would like. So thank you for sharing that and why being in the top 1% matters. And I also ask that. I also asked that because of my time at GE during the Jack Welch days, I was very familiar with the ranking system that we had and uh, that, that also intrigued me. So I love the fact you have that in your title and why it matters to leaders. Absolutely does. Again, you know, my business card for 20 years has not been practice leader, hasn't been in essence, you know, CEO or manager or COO. Again, you can look on my LinkedIn profile to see my background and ways you and I can connect and play but it's been a human capital developer because I'm a big believer in business. It's critically important to have all of our business units represented at the, at the C-suite. But to me, the two most important roles is the CFO and the, the chief human capital officer or whatever title you want to work. So if Eddie's the CEO of the company, to me, the two most important meetings he has to have every day or a quick check-in is with his financial person. That's the money that keeps everything going. And in essence, the human capital, because that's the people that's going to keep it going. Everything else is secondary to that. And some businesses just don't get that. Larger businesses, it's sad. They don't look at the, the HR team as the human capital development team, the talent team, the mobile team, the acceleration team. They look at them as a compliance team. And that's, that is absolutely the worst way of looking at HR, human capital. But unfortunately, that's how it's been bastardized and turned into is that HR has so much compliance crap to deal with every day. They don't get a chance to grow. And I love your Jack Welch. That was a massive world paradigm shift. Some people don't understand that story. Let me add to it. Others misunderstand it. Jack Welch, again, his comment was every year, your bottom 20% need to be highly engaged, create a development plan to get them back on track to be rock stars or get them out of the company. And so from that, people started to hear, we'll fire your bottom 20% every year. That was, yeah, yeah, you need to do that ultimately. But if you did other things smarter, you would never have a bottom 20%. You would have everyone in the 1% zone. Now imagine where your business is if everyone was a rock star, if everyone came with their A game and everyone loved bringing their A game and you celebrated the A game. Wow. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Now, you also, speaking of Jack Welch and the great management guru, he was hailed to be in the 20th century. You have written a legendary managerial leadership Bible. Tell us about that, because this is how future leaders are being trained inside of academia. Absolutely. So it's been a very successful graduate management textbook for me for many years. It's in its third edition version today. So it's always evolving. But again, you know, you know, looking at the concept of the managerial leadership Bible, you know, a friend of mine, Jeff Gittimer, coined the phrase many years ago, the sales Bible. And so I, I reached out to him and said, look, I just, I, you know, I want to ask permission. Of course, he, you know, laughing, you know, said, you don't have to ask permission, just do it. But I said, I want to, I want to hijack that concept of the Bible because Bible means, you know, the, the, the tenant, the massive, the missive, the baseline, you know, what, what the cornerstone is to success. So in the Manager Leadership Bible, what I've done is I've studied successful business leaders globally for 30 years. That's why the book's always evolving. I've looked at my own successes and failures in businesses. In, in large businesses, you know, I was, I, was a, I was a part of an ownership suite to a 
$117 million training company uh, that delivered deliverables online, virtual, live to to CPAs and attorneys to keep their license. So that took me into lots of businesses, the Coca-Colas, the GEZ, et cetera. So no matter where my life has taken me over the past 30 years, the, the, the backdrop to answering your question, the managerial leadership Bible is not about theory academic, it's about practitioner academic. So the practitioner of how do you actually build a successful enterprise from a human capital standpoint, that talent, the talent hierarchy, the talent engagement, the talent development, the talent succession, all of those elements. And that's what the book uh, really delivers, strategic and tactical tools you can use right now to, to take your, your, your success to wherever you want it to go as the next level, whether you have dysfunctionality, you have no functionality, or you have a peak performing team. How do you take the game to the next level? Wonderful. Now, you mentioned your interviews with four of uh, the last four presidents. You've also interviewed people like Carly Fiorina. You've interviewed Marshall Goldsmith, legendary Ken Blanchard. You've interviewed the top people in business. So tell us about your magazine and how can we subscribe to it, get a copy? Thank you very much. So you know, two ways to reach out to me. One is jeffreymcgee.com. Check the spelling uh, on this podcast for the right spelling. And on jeffreymcgee.com under resources, you can find out about Performance Magazine or you can go directly to my media company, which is professionalperformancemagazine.com. So professionalperformancemagazine.com. That'll share with you the different deliverables in that space and how you can get a digital subscription or a hard subscription to the magazine. What makes it unique, Eddie, is it's the only publication now going on year 30 it's the only publication that, while I call it a magazine, it reads more like a journal if you are uh, in a trade association and you get journals. But it comes out each quarter, and we typically have 20 to 25 proven successful global personalities. So I have always have a world leader or a major religious elder or a major political representative. I have a fascination with American Indian heritage, so I always have a tribal Indian chief, principal chief, CEO, write an article. I have celebrity athletes, entertainers. New York Times bestselling author. So a wide spectrum. The National Guard is an area I do a lot of leadership work with. So I always have an adjutant general writer an article. So I go to back to this 1% concept, what, you know, different ways of looking at success in different trades or industries. I then go to the top of the top of those personalities and I engage them on either writing an article, five to 500 to 1,000 words on success from their mental DNA that can help other leaders or I do an interview and the interviews are never lifestyle. You know, I'm not going to ask dumb lifestyle questions. It's about, again, if you're, you know, you're Shaquille O'Neal, why, why an MBA? Why were you the first NBA player to have a graduate degree in that space? Or if you are, you know, fill in the blank, why did you fill in the blanks? I'm always interested in their pathology, their mental DNA on success and achievement and performance. Because if we learn from the best, we all can become the best. No disrespect with F's and D's and C's and B's. It's only about an A. I want to surround myself with the best so I can learn how to become a better person every day. Thank you. Well, I am sure people will be subscribing if they haven't already to the Performance 360 magazine and checking out uh, the other work that you have posted. I've just thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. What's the main message you want to make sure our listeners walk away from our conversation with? Legacy. Think about legacy. What is it you do that someone else is a recipient of? That's not your legacy. What is it you do that someone else is a recipient of? And therefore, what do they go and do with that touch point that you've provided? That's how you can start to measure legacy. So every day we should think about what's our legacy. If this was my first and only day on the planet, what do I do to plus people? If I've been here more than a minute, as uh, some people may say, what have I done collectively and accumulatively to plus other people? It is so unfortunate some people waste uh, the precious time they're given on this planet to be a massive negative sign versus a plus sign. 
Okay. And is there a quote that you use as a leader that helps you to keep leading? You know, there's a lot of them that I that I kind of own. You know, one of them is what you tolerate, you condone. What you condone, you tolerate. So if there's things around you don't like, look in the mirror and start doing something. Success is what you own. You own your successes. You own your failures. Quit blaming other people for good or bad. Take ownership. You study any successful person, you'll see they take ownership. They give credit, but they take ownership to do the things that need to get done. Outstanding. And you gave us the links to how to contact you. I'm going to encourage my listeners to reach out to you, connect with you, follow you, subscribe to your magazine. We'll put all that into the show notes to make it easy for everyone. Thank you for being a guest here on the Keep Leading Podcast and helping us to understand the trajectory code for leaders. Thank you. That concludes this episode, everyone. I'm Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator, reminding you that leadership is not about our title or our position. Leadership is an activity. Leadership is action. It's not the case of once a leader, always a leader. It's not a garment we put on and take off. We must be a leader at our core and allow it to emanate in all we do. So whatever you're doing, always keep leading. Thank you for listening to your host, Eddie Turner, on the Keep Leading Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the Keep Leading Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. For more information about Eddie Turner's work, please visit eddieturnerllc.com. Thank you for listening to C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.